Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also, of course, brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp. Happy users, happy IT. And before we get into the news this week, just a quick reminder that I'm running a holiday giveaway where I'm giving one lucky winner a Raspberry Pi 4, a book on how to run ESXi on a Raspberry Pi, and a really cool Elgato Stream Deck. If you go to 5bytespodcast.com, you'll find a link right at the top of the episode guide. And if you click on that, that will bring you to how you can enter to win. Basically, you can do things like follow the YouTube page for the podcast, follow on Twitter, that sort of thing. And each action is worth one entry. And then toward the end of the year, I'm going to randomize and select a winner. I'll record it and share it with everyone. And also... I'm running this competition in association with the awesome festive tech calendar. And if you'd like to check out really great technical sessions that are running all through the month of December, go to festivetechcalendar.com. And now for some news. AWS had some serious performance issues that caused outages for many high profile customers. The issues ranged from Roomba's robot vacuums just grinding to a halt and becoming useless basically large paperweights. Uh, Adele's concert tickets were unable to be sold as the online service was being hosted on AWS. And also numerous streaming services also failed, amongst many other things. At the time of this recording, the status pages, while suggesting root cause was discovered, did not share what the root cause ended up being. Problems started around 11.20 a.m. and continued past 5 p.m. for thousands of services, though it sounded like most had recovered before 5 p.m. The Wall Street Journal suggests that this event has made some people more aware of their dependence on the cloud, whilst also pointing out that other major cloud platforms have had outages of their own in recent times, including Google Cloud Services very recently and some Azure services actually having problems multiple times in recent months. Of course, given the audience of this podcast, I'm sure no one's taken aback at how much we rely on cloud services and probably are not that deterred about outages and problems like this because that's also the reality of supporting your own enterprise IT infrastructure in your own data centers too. It does happen from time to time. Changes go wrong and so forth. But still... A little disconcerting to other people, I guess. And it seems like it's been a pretty bad year for major outages on these cloud platforms. On a previous episode of the podcast, I covered the launch of Microsoft Defender for Endpoints. This week, Microsoft announced a public preview for Defender for Endpoint that has been updated to discover enterprise IoT devices, including VoIP devices, printers, cameras, smart TVs, and even digital assistance, to name just a few. 
These devices will appear in a new section named IoT Devices, which can be found within the device inventory. While Defender for Endpoint now includes capabilities to perform device discovery for all devices on IT networks, the vulnerability management, detection, and response capabilities to secure enterprise IoT requires a very different approach and set of technologies. A couple of key differences include the inability to deploy agents to IoT devices and the need to analyze network data to secure the devices themselves. Microsoft Defender for IoT includes the technologies to address these challenges. And if you'd like to try that out, you can go to aka.ms slash preview to try it out. This week, Redmond Mag covered the news that Office 365 will be getting a long sought after security feature in February 2022. It will allow admins to restrict active content in Office documents and so-called trusted documents. This approach is new because end users currently can opt to open documents that have active content by customizing their settings using the Office Trust Center. Microsoft also has a protective view function that lets people view content without opening the document. However, end users can still bypass a warning and open the attached document and enable things like macros, which can have malicious payloads. And in the past, Microsoft have acknowledged that, yeah, that is true, but hadn't come up with the solution or provided a solution to secure it. But as of February, 2022, it sounds like a solution may be available. So good news from a security standpoint. IndianExpress.com reported this week that millions of Wi-Fi routers from various popular brands, including Netgear, Asus, Synology, D-Link, AVM, TP-Link, and more may be at risk after about 226 security vulnerabilities were found. Much of the problems lay in the use of default passwords and use of old unpatched routers, which seem to be kicking the proverbial hornet's nest on InfoSec Twitter, where some belittled the findings since it is already well known. It is more like exposing bad practices by home users, but nevertheless, the sheer scale of the problem does warrant preventative measures by the vendors, you know, try to protect people from themselves. As soon as the router vulnerabilities were reported to companies, all vendors responded quickly by releasing a fix for affected models. Users should update the firmware of their Wi-Fi routers as soon as possible to apply the latest fixes and stay clear of any potential attacks. And if you're not doing so already, if you're like working from home, or I mean even if you're not working from home, just on your home router, if there's an auto update feature to keep the firmware up to date automatically, good idea to enable that. Though you could also make the argument that <laughs> auto update features can be used for nefarious purposes too. So depends on your school of thought, maybe manually patching the firmware yourself, but it's up to you. Speaking of security issues on the network layer, Sonic Waller urging customers to patch their SMA 100 series appliances and several vulnerabilities have been disclosed ranging from medium to critical in severity. Sleepy Computer reports that the most dangerous one, if left unpatched, is CVE-2021-20039. This high severity security issue can let authenticated attackers inject arbitrary commands as the root user, leading to a remote takeover of unpatched devices. 
Luckily, SonicWall says that it hasn't yet found any evidence of any of these security vulnerabilities being exploited in the wild, but obviously you don't want to sleep on this. Get them patched as soon as possible. It was recently announced by F5 Networks that they are officially dropping networks from their name. And this is to reflect its expanded focus on delivering and securing applications. Mika Yamamoto, the F5 Chief Marketing and Customer Experience Offer, stated that, quote, now dropping a single word from our name might not seem like such a big deal, but to us, this change is huge. By breaking from the confines of networks, we're freeing ourselves to move boldly into a future constrained only by the limit of our imagination. End quote. F5 bought Boston-based cloud monitoring company ThreatStack for $68 million. And adding that with their previous acquisitions like Ingenix, you could see why they plan to do less network-focused products in the future since they have such a rounded portfolio of products. And thanks to GeekWire.com for that report. A new test build of Windows 11 now allows users of Chrome, Firefox, and other browsers to set a default browser with a single button. The Verge reports that instead of having to change individual file extensions or protocol handlers for HTTP, HTTPS, .html, and .htm files, Windows 11 now offers a simple button that lets people switch default browsers, which is similar to how you do it in Windows 10, you know, the default programs. Um, change the browser to whatever browser you want. I guess the article suggests that previously it had been kind of volleyed back by Microsoft that the horrible way of changing these extensions was by design in order to offer greater granularity over which browser does what, but that sounds a little suspect to be honest. So making it easier is good for everyone, I think. Those using the preview version of Windows 11 will notice some other updates to Notepad. When you do a search within a document, the search now has the function for replace right there in the menu. No need to go into a separate menu for the replace functionality. And another big one for a lot of people, they're introducing dark mode too. Check out the YouTube version of the show to see these new features in action or try out the preview of Windows 11 for yourself. ZDNet reported that there has been a decline in PC sales during the holiday season, but so far, 2021 has seen a 13.5% growth in sales compared to 2020. With shortages caused by the supply chain issues and the silicone issues, the whole tech industry has been impacted. In a report, IDC is predicting shipments of PCs to decline by 3.4% year-on-year in the fourth quarter for 2021 during the holiday shopping season. Tablet shipments are faring worst and are tipped to decline by 8.6% this holiday season, despite the segment's shipments growing 4.3% annually. IDC said that due to supply chain problems, PC manufacturers have been prioritizing commercial demand in recent months because businesses tend to be larger and there are more guaranteed buyers compared to the consumer and education space. Which honestly, I think they've always been doing that. They used to work for a large PC manufacturer and even then they tended to prioritize the commercial customers for stocks of new PCs, even when there was no supply chain issue necessarily. 
Windows Central covered a survey that one password carried out with 2,500 participants, and it reached a conclusion that overworked employees are more likely to feel security policies aren't worth the effort. Similarly, 12% of respondents that claim to be fatigued used the same password or a small group of passwords across work accounts. In contrast, only 7% of poll participants that did not claim to be burned out acted in the same way. Some of the other interesting tidbits from their survey was that burnout is a huge problem across the US and Canada. 80% of office workers and 84% of security specialists told 1Password that they were feeling burnt out. They said ready-to-resign workers use more shadow IT, with 49% of workers looking to switch jobs that are using unapproved software compared with 34% of those who are happy in their current job doing so. And also, burnout, the great resignation, and security habits are all connected. Employees who are ready to resign are more likely to feel the convenience is more important than security at their work. And that's just a few of the little tidbits and bullet points. You should check out the full report for yourself, and I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 206, and you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. But also, before getting away from this kind of general theme, I saw that NBC News also covered the great resignation as a topic this week, talking about employers currently initiating stay interviews with high performers in their organization in an attempt to try and help retain employees as much as possible. So these stay interviews are suggested to be essentially the same as an exit interview, but designed to take place before a person tries to leave. So you just talk to them about what they like, what they don't like about their job, and hopefully ways to improve that. The article also features an anecdote from someone who had this type of responsive management who talked to them and wanted to figure out you know, what they didn't like. But this person said they ended up leaving the job because while the management listened to their concerns, they did not follow through with any action. It's certainly interesting times that we're living in. And finally in the news this week, VMware are now accepting applicants for the 2022 vExpert program. If you're contributing into the community, why not apply? You deserve it. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. Another week, another great thread on Twitter by Dennis Gundarov, this time on how image compression is used in remoting protocols. So do yourself a favor, follow Dennis on Twitter, that's at FDWL, because he just keeps putting out these amazing threads every single week now, so follow, follow, follow. Kevin Beaumont, who I feature on the podcast quite often, had some words of encouragement that could also act as tips on where we should be looking. So he said that he thinks loads of things Microsoft have announced lately will help deal with ransomware. And his examples include the XL4 macros blocked by default in Office 365 current channel, which will be coming soon, as I also reported, and also planned Office 365 active content changes, as I reported on this episode, and the fact that Defender for Business is very low cost, which I think I reported on the podcast a few weeks ago, too. So all encouraging. And it's great that someone 
of Kevin's caliber is confirming so. The awesome Johan had a blog post on how to upgrade to Windows 11 using MDT Light Touch. I'm not going to give away the content of what he has said in the blog post because I encourage you to check it out and give him the view or the click. Um, but there is something that you have to do in order to get MDT Light Touch to work with the new OS, and Johan shares the details. I saw a very cool Weather Lights tool on their GitHub repository that was shared by my buddy Aaron Parker. It's an Intune network drive mapping tool. And I echoed Aaron's sentiments on just, you should be trying to get away from map network drives. They're a pain in the butt, they're not very agile, and if you try to go to Azure AD join in the future, you're gonna have a problem if you're trying to drag those forward. But he does say that as a stopgap solution, this tool by Weatherlights works very well and has a great user experience. Sysmansquad.com featured a blog post by Andrew Blackburn on using PowerShell and Graph to update Azure AD user photos in bulk. So I had to do something like that with uh, on-prem AD. Actually, was it on-prem AD or was it another application? Anyways, had to do something like that with bulk updating people's profile photos and it was a pain in the butt. So cool that someone has done this for Azure AD and has an example out there. If you haven't checked it out yet, you should really check out Master Packager's Master Wrapper for the PSADT, the PowerShell Application Deployment Toolkit. They point out that no scripting is required, it's faster than scripting to use, every package is standardized, and it can be used with your existing PSADT templates. Plus, it's free. Doesn't cost you anything to try it out, so why not? Bit of an odd one here, but relatable. Ashley Willens at HBR.org published an article talking about the psychology behind meeting overload. And it got into things like FOMO or fear of missing out as a reason why people tried to accept most meeting invites even though they're already feeling overwhelmed and how they just deal with endless meetings along with some other very interesting discussions in the article. So I suggest you check it out. And two weeks in a row, I am featuring a blog by Andres at doitpsway.com who had a blog on using PowerShell to simplify retrieval of the correct SCCM logs for what you want to do. Tim Mangan shared a free MSIX packaging fundamentals book that he created in association with Advanced Installer. So Tim is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to applications. Definitely check that out. Ben Whitmore had a really useful script for those using Intune or Mem. If you want to know if your update compliance data is accurate and your clients are reporting in and they meet all prerequisites for update compliance, this script is for you. And somewhat related, Eric from zenapplog.com posted a article on Windows 365, building Win32 apps for Intune automatically, which is becoming a hot topic and I featured a blog on the same topic on its scripts, tricks, and tips a few episodes ago too. And it is something I've been playing around with myself as well in relation to Windows 365. And I talked a little bit about it at my festive tech calendar session too. And finally, Michael O'D shared a blog post, I guess, on a topic that he covered at the last Irish UGC that kind of acts as a guideline for overall what you would do with Citrix virtual apps and desktop. You know, things like the provisioning, getting your golden image together, 
configuring your write cache, setting up your FS logics. He goes through it all. So it's a really cool blog post. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't yet, you should go out to fivebytespodcast.com and click on the link at the top in order to enter the giveaway for that Raspberry Pi, the book on running ESXi on a Raspberry Pi, and of course the Elgato Stream Deck too. Thanks again, everyone.